morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And you can find that in the Black Pew Bible in front of you on page 686. It should also be on the screen immediately behind me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus has a lot to say about the foundation that you and I build our lives upon. And so I want you to think about what your life is truly built upon. What is it that you're counting on in order to bring security, to bring progress, to bring success, to build your relationships on? What are the things that your life is built upon? Oftentimes, if, we're, if we truly do an examination of our own heart and our own life, we may discover that the things that we're actually building our life on may not stand against the storms of life. So think about it. I put some suggestions here in, um, in your notes. Are you building your life on your abilities, on the strength and capabilities, the giftedness that you have? Is it built upon your character? You know, so many times I know, um, especially earlier on in my, oh, there I am. There's more of me than you ever wanted. Um, especially earlier on in my, in my career when I worked in television, I tended to be very ambitious. But at the same time, I wanted, I wanted people to see character and work ethic. And I tried to build my career on my character, which was good for a while. And, and we need to have a good work ethic, and character. But it's not the foundation that we can build upon. In the same way, oftentimes we try to build our life on our own goodness. We compare ourselves to other people. We think, well, I'm a little bit better than this person because they do blank. Whatever, whatever activity it is or sin that they've committed, we compare ourselves. Or you can build your, the foundation of your life on your commitments, that's a good thing. We're supposed to be people who say yes and mean yes, or who say no and mean no. But are commitments themselves enough to build your life on? Or how about our appearance? The older I get, the less and less I would build anything on my appearance. It is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this every time I look in the mirror. It's decaying quickly. What was up in my face is sagging down. It just, it just wrinkles and, and gray. Somebody asked me about a picture that was on WhatsApp, which is an old picture, and they asked whether or not I had dyed my, my goatee, and, and I, I had to say no. It was just <clears throat> age. I get older and older. So what about our status? Are you building your life on your status or on your religion? You can build your life on the foundation of religion, and that 
too will not stand against the storms of life or your resources or the approval of others? How would you assess your own heart and life as far as the foundation that you're built upon? Jesus tells us that if we want to have a life that truly is built upon a rock, a foundation that can weather not only the storms of life, but the fears that we encounter continually, a foundation that is absolutely secure, we need to build our life on his word and on who he is. He tells us to build our life on the rock-solid foundation of what he says, and the way that we prove that we are building our life upon that rock is that we do what he says. Well, this series that we're beginning today is designed to help us find that foundation, to build our life on the promises of God. Because God promises not only to enable us to to withstand the storms of life and to have victory over fear, but to have joy no matter what circumstances we face. When we hear his word and we choose to follow it in obedience, we can have a life that is built on a firm foundation no matter what we face. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the promises of God, and they are rock-solid promises that God gives to us to help us establish a life that is not only filled with confidence, but with great joy. And as we look at this, we'll discover how God promises to give us courage in times of fear, strength in times of doubt, comfort in times of hurt, deliverance in times of temptation, victory in times of failure, and complete redemption or rescue from our sin. Every area of our life, God has a promise that he wants you to believe and to live, to obey, and allow it to be the foundation of your life. Now, today we're talking about fear, and and fear is something that all of us encounter. It may look a little different in your life than it looks in my life, but we all experience fear. This is why in the scripture, That overwhelming emotion of fear is identified almost 1,000 times in the Bible. Now, if it comes up that often in the Scripture, chances are it's a reality you and I face all the time. So, So here's the thing. If you're wrestling with anxiety, with fear, you're in good company, all right? Don't beat yourself up on it. What you do instead is learn to build on the right foundation so that it can withstand the fear. The word fear itself is used 441 times in the scripture. Afraid appears 160 times. Tremble, 101 times. Terror or terrified, 121 times. Those real raw emotions or what people all through history have experienced, and God has met their needs. Let me give you some examples. Abraham, the man of faith, the the one that is given as an example, it says this, Abraham was fearful about his lack of a male heir. God told him in Genesis 15:1, fear not, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Abraham is called Um, righteous because he believed God. 
He believed the promise of God, even though from the time of the promise to the time that Isaac was born was many years, he believed God. Did he struggle? Yes. But from God's viewpoint, Abraham learned to build his life on God's promise. Hagar was afraid she would have to watch Ishmael die. God told her in Genesis 21, 17, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. How often we need to know that God hears us. God assured Hagar that he heard not only her prayer, but the cries of Ishmael. The Israelites were terrified as the Egyptians bore down on them from behind as they faced the barrier of the Red Sea. There was no way out. And right in the middle of a seemingly hopeless situation, Moses said to them, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The whole nation felt fear. David was afraid for his life on many occasions, but he penned these words in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And here's why. For you are with me. You see, that's what changes everything. He went through hard circumstances just like you and I do, but he knew that God was with him. Solomon seriously doubted his ability to follow in his dad's footsteps in leading the nation. But David told him, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And that's a great example of what we as parents need to tell our children. We need to remind them that God is with them, that God has good plans for their life, that God will bring it to completion. He will finish what he has started in them. Jeremiah, the great prophet, was afraid to tell people something they didn't want to hear. And God said to him in Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. You see, we have all these examples of fear and chances are we could relate to many of the experiences these people in the scripture had. Because fear is that primal emotion. It's intrinsic to our human nature, just like grief or anger. And it's not something that, that we think about. I, I can't remember ever a time in my life when I went, you know, I think I should get afraid. I think, you know, maybe I should just Think about being afraid. It just comes on us like a wave because of the uncertainty that we face. But when it begins to control us and limit us, then fear becomes a problem. And here is why. Fear is the opposite of faith. That's what we need to hold on to and understand. We need to recognize when we're encountering fear and anxiety, our faith is weak. The answer isn't to beat yourself up. The answer is to go back to the right foundation, the promises of God. You see, fear cannot see past the circumstances. Everything that we see in front of us looks um, terrible. It looks unsurmountable. There's no way around it. There's no way over it. Fear, all it sees is the obstacle. 
But faith sees God in spite of the obstacle and above the circumstances that we are encountering. A promise from God is his assurance that he gives to his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. That's why the promises of God are so incredibly important. Many years ago, I learned this simple truth. Never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. It is so easy to do, but I need to remind myself of that continually. Never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. It's kind of like walking through, um, you know, when you, when you have to get up in the night because you hear a noise or, or whatever, um, you know, chances are you, you'll remember what your room looked like, what your flat looked like because you saw it in the light, and you need to remember what it looked like when you get up in the dark and you walk through it so that you don't stumble over the the chair or the table or the bed or um, Legos or whatever else may be there in, in the dark. We need to remember what God told us in the light, no matter how dark it gets. So here's what we're going to do. What I want you to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break all the rules of, of pastors, and I'm going to ask you to get out your phone. Yeah, and, and afterwards, if you're going to play solitaire or, you know, something else, that's okay. I forgive you. But I want you to get out your phone. If you have a Bible app, I want you to look up um, in your heart language, whatever is closest to you. I want you to look up Deuteronomy 31.6. And if you, if, once you find it, Deuteronomy 31.6, I want you to, to highlight it and copy it because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to put it in your calendar app. For the next seven days, set a time when you want your app to go off to remind you of this verse. Because what I'm actually doing is I'm getting you to memorize this verse, but I'm trying to be sneaky about it, okay? Um, I want you to put it in there. I've already done this myself. So in my phone, if you, you looked 745 this morning, this verse went off because I needed to hear it. And tomorrow, I'm gonna need to hear it again. And the next day, and the next day. So for the next seven days, I want to encourage us to meditate, to think about this promise that God has given us and build our life on it. So you can take your time to, to, to do that, but what I want to ask us to do is stand and say it out loud together as a proclamation, as a promise of God. So we're going to put it up on the screen, Deuteronomy 31, 6. Would you stand and let's say this together? This is what the Lord is saying to you and to me. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isn't that a good promise? Now think about what you're facing this week. Maybe you've got a hard time coming up at work. Maybe there's a a meeting that you're dreading. Maybe there's a, a doctor's appointment. Maybe there's a relationship that is, is kind of on the edge and you're anxious about it. You need this promise because God promises he will be with you. All right, have a, have a seat, but please go ahead and put that in your calendar and let's learn to live that promise this week. God promises to always be with us. And here's the thing, the antidote to fear He's knowing God's presence. He doesn't have to answer all of our questions, 
We just need to know beyond anything else that he is with us no matter what we face. The solution, the way to have victory over fear is to know that God is with us. That's why he gives us this promise in Deuteronomy 31, 6. It's a promise he gave personally to Joshua as he began to take leadership, but it is a promise that applies over and over again in the scripture to everyone who places their trust in him. God promises not only to go with us, but did you notice He promises to go before you. Did you see that in the verse? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. That part is huge. God promises not only to be with us, not only to show up in the midst of our fear, but the fact that he's already there before you get to that circumstance. The thing that you're dreading in your life, that that fear that is so real and so large, God is already there. Doesn't that change how you approach it? When you know he is not only already there, but he is for you. He loves you. He promises to be with you and to walk no matter how difficult it is to walk with you. No matter what problem you face, God is already there. Beyond that, He's praying for you right now. Hebrews 7, 25 says this, Consequently, speaking of Jesus, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you in your fear. How encouraging is that? That God is not only with you, and not only before you, he is praying, he is lifting you up. Those are the promises he gives us in his word, and it's incredible. When we recognize that God is with us, and God is for us, and God is interceding for us, it lifts up the fear so that we see a glimpse of who God is. Jesus put it this way in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So what do we do with these promises? We choose to trust God. We choose to believe and to obey based on what he has already told us he would do. But to do that, we need to know the promises of God. We need to not just hear them once a week when we, when we come, come to church. We need to have them penetrate into our hearts and into our minds and meditate on them. I've told you this many, many, many times. This is a phrase I got from a dear friend who um, I learned so much from. He said this. His name's Rick. He said, if we knew what God knows we would always want what God wants and we would always wait for God's timing. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants and we would always wait for God's timing. That's a truth you can build your life on. So how do we do this? How do we begin to live on the basis of these promises and to build our life on a rock-solid foundation? Well, it starts with understanding and knowing the character of of the one who makes the promise. 
Because everything is built not just on the words, but on the character, the attributes of the person who stands behind the words. We can trust God's promises because God cannot lie. In Hebrews 6, 17 and 18, it says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's you and I, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He made a promise. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie because of who he is, we who have fled for our refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Based on God's word and based on God's character, he cannot lie. So when he makes a promise to you or I, he will keep it. We may not, there there are times when we may be trying to apply a promise in a wrong way and the Lord will show that to us if we seek him. But when he gives a promise, he will bring it to fulfillment. God says, I promise. I promise you. And because of who he is, nothing can change that. We just need to learn to trust in it, to believe in it. Secondly, we trust God's promises because he stakes stakes his reputation on his word. Here's something we really need to, to, to realize. When God puts something in his word, when he makes a promise that he applies to all believers, he is staking his reputation on it. This is what he says in Psalm 1830. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who takes refuge in him. When it says his way is perfect, he's saying that his reputation, the things that he he does are absolutely right and true. We can trust him because he has proven his love for us. The ultimate proof of God's love for you and I is Jesus Christ. His willingness, knowing everything about you, everything about me, to come and to say, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. And not only that, I'm not only gonna die for you, I'm gonna raise from the dead to make sure you know that you have victory over sin and death and the grave because I am victorious. Not only that, I'm gonna put my Holy Spirit to live in you all the time. I wanna be with you every single moment. That's how much I love love you. If he proved that to us, can't we trust him with our fears, with our anxiety? God understands everything that we're going through, and he gives us great promises. Well, let me, let me try to illustrate it with the, I don't know if this is going to work, um, you guys have seen me long enough, many of you, to know that sometimes my props fail miserably. Um, but I'm going to try one today, and we'll, I hope that it will make sense. It makes sense to me, but that doesn't mean that it'll make sense to you. But, but here's the thing. I have, I have some flags here. And the first one is, today, I am praying to the Lord, and I am trusting that this will go into this thing right here. There you go. I am trusting um, God's promise. He has promised to never leave me or to never forsake me. That's one of the promises that I'm trusting. There are other promises. 
that we need to trust. Okay, so today I believe. Now what happens in the, in the scripture is that the promise and that we see in the stories lived out before us is that then tomorrow or some point in the future, I receive. I receive what God has promised, right? Okay, so we need another flag, right? Okay, so in the future, I receive God's promise. Now, if in your life and my life, these two flags were only this far apart, we would be so awesome. All right, I pray today, bam, tomorrow, you know, here comes God with my answer. It's great, yay. The problem is, as this thing, this flag gets farther and farther away from the time that I pray it, I begin to doubt. I begin to get nervous. I begin to get fearful because I've forgotten what God promised me, right? Well, I was thinking about it this way. Um, We used to have a a rather uh, large piece of property when we lived in Colorado. And um, on that property were all these surveying stakes that marked off the boundaries of the property. And so there were flags there. Many of you, maybe you've seen... um, Uh, a surveyor at work on the roads or whatever, and they get out the little scope and they're lining up the flags so that they can get the right line and and they can see where the boundaries are. And I began to think about God's promises and these little flags with that picture in mind. And I realized it really fits what I see in Scripture. Because, you see, part of what God, I think, is doing when there seems to be a long time between the promise when we believe and the answer that comes God is increasing the territory in the lives of other people that he is going to bless and influence through our faithfulness. So here's how it works. What's he doing now? The fact that this flag is at one end of the room, it's as far as I could go, doesn't matter. It could be in... It could be in Zhishkov. It doesn't matter, okay? Because it's a long ways away, does it make it any less true? Does the distance change the fact that God promises and he does answer, whether we see it quickly or over a long period of time, does it in any way change the character and nature of the one who gave the promise? And the answer is no. Sometimes the reason why there is a great gap between the promises that we claim, that we believe, that God has said, and that we pray, and the answer that we receive is because God is going to um, touch the lives of so many more people than we ever imagined. I want you to think about the person in the scripture of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph and Mary, but Joseph, um, the son of Jacob, he was given a dream. He was given a promise that one day his brothers and his mother and his father would bow down before him. Now, Joseph was, was foolish enough to tell his brothers about his dream, and it didn't make them look very good, and so things began to go south. But Joseph believed God's promise. He believed that it was true, that at one point in time, God was going to use him in a unique way that ultimately would result in his brothers and his father and his mother bowing down before him. And what did God do? (laughs) He allowed Joseph to be put in prison for decades 
He allowed him to go through incredible trials, even though his character was perfect and beautiful. But God was working, and so between the promise that he gave to Joseph and the answer, there was incredibly difficult things that happened to Joseph. He's in prison once. He, he rightfully tell, interprets a dream, and the people that he tells it to forget about him. And so um, then he's released from prison, and he's faithful in Potiphar's house. He's a servant, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and he's, he runs away, and he, what happens to him? He gets put back in prison. But he still believed God's promise. And you see, the distance between when he received it and when he prayed it, when he believed it, what God was doing behind the scenes was he was encompassing a whole, more, a whole greater group of people, all of Joseph's family, all of the descendants of Jacob, and all of Egypt were blessed because of the promise of God that Joseph believed, because he provided a way in order to give food during a time of great famine to all of Egypt and all of Israel. You see, God wasn't slow in keeping his promise. He was making it bigger. Maybe that's what's happening in your life. Maybe it's not a delay because you've done something wrong. It's not a delay because you haven't tried hard enough. Maybe it's a delay because God wants to touch the lives of so many more people when he brings the answer. And when he does that, it's incredibly beautiful, and we see the greatness of our God. The question is, will we believe what he's promised us? Will we believe his word? Faith is believing without seeing. It's believing in spite of the circumstances. It's believing based upon the character of the one who made the promise not upon our own goodness or merit, but upon his. God's promises take a long look. Instant gratification is not how the Lord operates. Oftentimes, his promises, in fact, are multi-generational. He promised to Abraham that he would make his descendants as many as the sands of the sea or the stars of the heaven. He also promised to Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Would you like to know the answer to that prayer? That is us gathered together today from many, many, many different nations together in Jesus Christ. We're an answer to that promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of the faithful belief of Abraham. How much greater is the promise now? Even though Abraham didn't see the answer uh, in to its fullness in his own lifetime, the answer has gotten bigger and bigger, and it's beautiful. God has demonstrated his character, and he makes promises, and he asks us to believe even when it's hard, even as Tom said, um, or excuse me, as uh, Trevor said earlier, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes we're shaky, but God's promises are secure. And they're all based upon the nature of his son. Here's the thing. The way God has proven that he keeps his promises is in Jesus Christ. 
He is our refuge in the midst of whatever storm or circumstances we face. He is a foundation that cannot be moved. And the character of the one we trust is found and revealed in Jesus. He is our rock of refuge. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Is God your stronghold? Do you see him that way? Psalm 62.7 says says it this way, Our God, rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Everything about his life rests on God. But God is not only our refuge, he is our resource. He is our living supply of life. He continually gives himself for us. And there's a, there's a beautiful picture that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks in the Old Testament where um, the scripture uses the term about God being a rock over and over again in the scriptures, but especially during the wilderness wanderings of Israel because the rock was what's called in, in theology, it's called a theophany. It was Christ's presence with the people of Israel. It was from a rock that God flowed out living water to give water to the people of Israel in the midst of the wilderness. Here's what the New Testament says about that. 1 Corinthians 10. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. The provision of the people of Israel in the wilderness was the rock of Jesus Christ. He miraculously provided water. He miraculously provided food. He'll provide for your needs and my needs as well when we place our full trust on him and on his promises. He is our resource. Also, he is our redemption. Psalm 78, 35 says, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high, their redeemer. But there's some conditions that come with the promises of God. We read earlier in the promise um, when Jesus is giving that illustration about building upon the rock that we not only had to believe his words, but we had to do him. True belief will always result in obedience. If I do not obey, I do not believe. It's just as simple as that. I can say I believe all I want, but if my actions do not match what I say, it's false. The same is true for you. In Deuteronomy 30, the verses that precede the promise that I had you put into your phones, it says this, for this commandment that I commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not separated by a long ways. It is not in heaven that you should say who shall ascend to heaven, 
for us and to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that we should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. The condition that God places upon his promises is that we love him. That's what he asks us to do. With that, He asks us to be committed to his word. Deuteronomy 31 goes on and talks about how we are to have a commitment to God's word. And God instructed the people of Israel to read all of the law to all of the people every seven years and to commit it to their hearts, to teach it to their children. God's word was to be in us. This is why it's so important for you to be immersed in God's word and studying it and learning it and memorizing it. This is why it's important for our children to be in Sunday school and for, for the, it's such a high calling for teachers and helpers to help put in them the word of God. It's important for us to be in a small group and in a discipleship relationship so that God's word becomes a part of who we are. We need to be committed to his word. Furthermore, we need to be committed to his mission. He has given you and I an assignment to go forth and to tell others of the hope that we have And we're to be committed to his priorities with a humble heart. Because pride and selfishness will always pull us away from God's presence and ultimately will lead to fear. So here's how I want to end before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I want to give you some rock-solid claims that you can build your life on. Number one, In Christ my rock, I am never alone. In fact, do we have it on the screen? Would you say that with me? In Christ my rock, I am never alone. That's what was promised to us in Deuteronomy 31.6 and what Jesus said again in the Gospels. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has promised to be with us. The second rock-solid claim that we can build our life on is that in Christ my rock, I will not fear. Would you say that with me? In Christ my rock, I will not fear. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. When you build your life upon the rock of God in Jesus Christ and upon his promises, you have no reason to fear. The reason David could stand against Goliath was not because he was strong, because he had great um, skill or strategy. Um, It wasn't even because he had great aim with the sling. It's because he was confident in who God was and what God had said. We need not fear. And thirdly, the third great promise, say this one with me. In Christ my rock, I cannot fail. I don't know about you, but oftentimes that's my deepest fear is that I'll mess up 
I said, Pastor, I have a deep fear that I'll mess up the church. I'll do something stupid. As a father, I had a great fear I'd mess up my children. As a husband, I'd mess up my wife, that I'd fail. But God has given me great promises, and he's given you great promises. He says this in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When we place our full trust on the foundation of Jesus and his promises, we cannot fail. Because it's not about our strength, it's about his. Those are promises we can hold on to. And nothing is too hard for the Lord. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is a promise as well. It's a promise that God makes and one that we make as well. We promise to remember what he has done. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him, in remembrance of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. And by faith, we are to live by the truth of his love and of his sacrifice and of his word. His promise is our eternal life through his sacrifice on the cross. In the bread, we see represented as Jesus, our redeemer, our resource, our refuge, and our rock. Psalm 1914 puts it this way, and this should be the prayer that we should pray as we partake of the, of the bread and of the cup. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The bread and the cup remind us that God has already kept his promise to us in rescuing us. Now we can fully trust him to be our rock in every other circumstance of life, no matter what we face. The bread and the cup show us how much God loves us and wants us to be together as one in him. He loves us so incredibly much. And he's demonstrated his love for you and me. Will you trust his promises? Dear Heavenly Father, we come together now and and admit that oftentimes our life is filled with fear and with anxiety. We allow circumstances to, to block our sight of you. Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes this day and enable us to see who you are, to see your goodness, your power, your greatness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for proving yourself to us in ways that truly are almost unimaginable. That you would love us so much, you would lay down your life for us. How amazing you are, Jesus. So we come together today in obedience to what you have commanded us. And we come together as one people from many nations who are one in Jesus Christ. And in recognition of what you have done, Lord Jesus, we follow your example because you said on the night before you were crucified, in your word it says you took bread and you broke it and you blessed it and said, this is my body which is given to you. Eat from it, all of you.
Lord, thank you for this bread. It represents who you are and what you have done. And as we partake of it, Lord, as we taste of the bread and place it into our bodies, remind us that you are with us and that you are for us. And Lord, as we taste of it, we ask that you would make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. May we learn to love you and to love others as you have demonstrated your love for us. Your word says also that you took the cup and you said this cup is the new covenant. It is your blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Lord, thank you for this cup. Thank you that you willingly poured out your perfection, your righteousness as represented in your blood to cover over all of our sin and to clothe us with your character, with your righteousness, with your perfection. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. As we drink of that cup, remind us that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ so that we will go out and live as those who've been forgiven, a life of love, of service, of obedience to you. Well, we thank you for the bread and for the cup. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, I ask that as we follow in obedience to you, that you would touch the hearts and lives of each and every person in this room today. Remind them of the promises you have made to them and help us to believe. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask those who are serving to come forward and we're gonna invite the the worship team to come up first and partake and then you will be invited to come and partake of the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus.